Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Good morning, Laura. Ah, you did it. <laughs> I you did it. did it. Good morning, Adam. I think Adam. I'm good now. I think I'll always say good morning. I hope so. Nice. I hope so. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Okay, what do we got? What do we got, Karch? Today, we're talking about a very trendy topic, and it's all about narcissists. And I have to be honest with you, this topic and this word hasn't even come into my world until maybe only the last three months or so. That's nuts. No, I mean a lot. But I obviously know what a narcissist is, but this has been coming up and up and up. And even in our podcast, when people listen to our podcast, people will respond and say, oh, it sounds like that person was raised by a narcissist or this person was married or is married to a narcissist. And I'm thinking, okay, what is this that everybody is chiming in on? And so just doing a little research and trying to figure out why everybody's coming to this. They had to put a name on a behavior, right? We always have to put a name on something. Gotta label it. Right, gotta gotta label it. it. Right. And so it is nothing new. It's a personality that's just self-centered and personality that lacks empathy. But when you're in a relationship with that, with that type of personality, that can make it really, really hard. And what you see is a lot of mental health decline, low self-confidence. It constantly hammers the self-confidence down because the person is constantly trying to put this person down to make them feel better. Hold on a second, because literally I feel everybody is like throwing out narcissist. He's a narcissist. She's a narcissist. They have to say that to feel better about themselves. Right. There's a lot of that. There is a disorder. There's actually a labeled disorder where somebody, that's how they operate through life. And that's what I would love for today. We have a guest on today and we'll get to that in a second. What's the difference between just someone who's going through some stuff and has to focus on themselves in order to do their work and do their process? Because I call you a narcissist all the time. (laughs) You do not. (laughs) I'll wear it with honor then, I guess. I'm sure you will. No, I mean, there is some level where people are like, I take care of myself, I'm being selfish. People are scared of being a narcissist. As a child, we, me and my brothers, we were called selfish little ingrates (laughs) all the time. And it's like, I grew up, I was like, oh, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish. And then you hear the term narcissist. I don't want to be a narcissist, but there is a really healthy side about focusing on yourself and taking ownership of your life and learning how to have good boundaries and you need to claim yourself. So it's a fine line. There's no question. I'll be honest with you. When I'm reading about this, there is a constant little voice in the back of my head. Oh my God. Am I a narcissist? Am I a narcissist? Oh my gosh, I am. Yeah. Okay, wait. No, I'm not. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's big. So we have on today with us, we have Lauren. I've known for, I mean, I think 25 years almost at this point. And I've lost track with her for a long time as she's been going through her life. And I guess, I mean, not surprising for this topic, she's been in, engaged with, entangled with a classic narcissist. And it's been a crazy tale. So Um, Lauren, she's a seasoned acupuncturist and herbalist, and that's how I met her in grad school. She's dedicated her life to helping others, committed to healing, like to the healing field for over 20 years. And that's kind of a good jumping point because she dedicates herself to others. 
And it's, I think what we're going to hear from her is about like how that dynamics, it's not just about the narcissist, it's about who ends up with a narcissist. Mm, why are you what drawn? dynamic? Yeah. Why are you so, drawn to a narcissist? Right. So hi, Lauren. You are with us. Yeah. Good morning. Hi, Adam. Hi, Laura. How are you guys doing? <laughs> we're Good, doing thanks. okay. Thank you for having me. Of course. Absolutely. Of course. Tell us a little bit about your story because I, since catching up with you, you filled me in and it's been a long, long journey. And can you tell us a little bit about, because we want people to understand what are the general trademarks of someone who is narcissist, what that looks like when you're in a relationship and, and your role in that. So tell me about this relationship and kind of how it started a little bit. I was married to a man with narcissistic personality disorder. And you're right, it is a really common overused term. There's a total natural side of, we're all narcissism level. It's a survival mechanism. It's a self-serving rhythm that we all need to have. I engaged it a little deeper with my now ex. And the background story of my, <laughs> I got married when I was 30 to my best friend from high school. We had had a very volatile time until we were 30, but I think that high and low was really attractive to us, the roller coaster ride of emotions. So we just like hit the ground running. And in 10 years, we had four houses and three businesses and five sons. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. We settled down in my city and my business took off and his business took off and we were a powerhouse couple. And it wasn't great, but it was fun. And we never left time for each other to like take care of the relationship. We just kept adding to our plates. That was, mm. it was like this adrenaline, this high and low. There was a lot of ups and downs, either fighting or happiness or fighting. There was really, rarely ever in like a middle ground. Building businesses and raising five boys and doing all of that. And speaking just from personal experience, like Laura and I have been raising children now for 10, I guess almost 10 plus years, you can say. And it's so easy to wake up one day and realize it's been 10 years and you haven't been so on top of some disharmonies and just you can't. messed up dysfunctional dynamics. When you're, when yeah. you're so busy, you just can't. So, okay. So you guys were rocking and rolling basically. We had this amazing dynamic, which felt amazing when I was in it, where I did my share and he did his share. And I was perfectly happy with that. His share was the finances, the investments, managing my business. My share was going to work, seeing patients, making the money, taking care of the five boys, social, sports, that stuff, cooking, cleaning. That's the stuff I wanted to do. So laundry, we were happy laundry, 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 <laughs> <laughs> laundry, laundry. Unfortunately, after 13 years of marriage, what happened was I just kind of hit a wall within this year and a lot of big things came up in my life and stressful things. And I just kind of, I know I kind of lost it. And next thing I knew, I was infatuated with another man and I never thought that would happen. I was really in love with my husband and my best friend, even though I was mad at him half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really, no, but well, he was difficult. But I met someone very open, kind, empathetic, compassionate, loving, and just pretty much the exact opposite of what I was married to and realized like I'd been missing out. And I just immediately became infatuated with this man. And for three months, we had this texting affair and so on and so forth. Three months later, <laughs> my husband and his wife found out. And the next day he was gone. My husband at the time was like, that's it. I'm out. And he picked up his stuff and he left. And I felt horrible. It was awful. I knew what I was doing wasn't right because it wasn't open and honest. 
And uh, three weeks later, he had a serious girlfriend and was like, we're getting a divorce and I made you. And so I want two thirds and you get one third. And if you don't accept that, I'll burn the ship before you get anything. So Um, that's intense. And that's so I went from like, this wasn't like an uncommon personality that he had. He was like an all or nothing person. He either, you know, builds you up or it makes you feel like the most important person in the world. And so special and loved and great, or he would make me feel most some people like completely isolated, hated, defeated, deflated. I mean, this was the high and low dynamic of our relationship. I was never like completely turned off and turned away for good. The isolation that happened all the time, but this was isolation that's happened five years ago. It would seem like when something like that happens, right? And kind of like you broke the trust, right? At that point, he has a very external, tangible, valid kind of reason to say, well, no, 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 that can't be. And that doesn't necessarily represent his narcissism, just like you're saying. And I'm just so like honored that you even share this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. That's amazing. I broke his heart, but worse, I broke his ego. And so that's been the problem. So, but even before that, if he's, like you said, like diagnosed at at that level, like he has those narcissistic tendencies, how did that show up in your relationship even before it got to that point? Right. Because it got to that point for a reason. So what was it that maybe, what was it that, well, you already said that the man that you were drawn to was kind and, but what was it that you were drawn to and what was it that you were not getting? Yeah. Like you're saying, nothing is created in a vacuum. And it's true. Well, I was married to someone that I had to walk around on eggshells with and always prove myself that I'm doing enough, that I'm appreciative of him enough. He's getting enough attention. And I would have to apologize before I would get acknowledged again, like the icing out that happened really often. And my inability to be vulnerable and sexual with him. I know I have five kids, but honestly, (laughs) maybe I had sex five times. I don't know. I couldn't be because I didn't trust when he was going to turn on me. And it could be any day, week or month. And so I was unable to really give myself to him. And he was always making me feel like I wasn't appreciating him enough. And meanwhile, I'm raising five kids. I'm doing just as much as he is. I'm making more money than him. I'm, I'm doing it all. And so is he. But I was never doing enough. And just to always have to feel like I have to walk on eggshells around this man that needs all this attention and stroking while I have all these little babies in my house that are the ones that need the attention. So that's a a trademark example of classic narcissistic tendencies. One of them, that kind of like that grandiose sense of Mm self-importance, right? Like they can't allow other things. Craving attention. They're the most important thing that exists. And when you have five children, that's quite the competition. Right. And then controlling the household with rage and anger and stress. Well, and controlling the household, period. They need to take the lead. It's like everyone has to tow to make sure that this person is contented or else that shit's going to hit the fan and you're going to have a bad day at home because who wants to be around that type of energy? I feel like that's a classic one like that having to tiptoe because if this person's like this person's mood will determine the environment of whatever room they're in. They have thin skin. And so if anything goes wrong, you're walking on eggshells, they're going to explode. How did that then like you're raising five kids, you have this business, you guys are doing all this together. What does that do to your psyche when you don't even feel free to express yourself because you have to first worry about how someone's going to respond to anything that goes down. Resentment. That's what happens. Just stifling resentment. 
and, well, you know, fear, because it's just, it's really hard to have to keep everything in, knowing that you cannot communicate with this person that you are married to, that you love, that you want to work things out with, because they're just going to take it personally and verbally or emotionally attack you, usually using isolation and just not being able to go there with your partner, which is the person that you're supposed to be able to do that with. So I just kept everything inside and just built a lot of resentment, like I said. So you said as you're building that resentment because you can't go for the ride, right? It's like giving him this sense of entitlement and allowing him to just isolate you from your friends and your family or anyone in your life. Did you feel like you ever supported his like delusional world, if you will? Right. Were you trying to meet his expectations? And if you were, what did that look like? What were his expectations and how are you trying to meet them? I did all the time because the way that you soothe someone with narcissistic personality disorder is to just agree with them and say that they're right and that, nope, they're not accountable for that problem and that problem and that person and just go on the wave with him. So we were in a lot of battles with friends and family members and other businesses. And I was like his number one fan supporting him. And we were just on this wave, on this ride. Like he was very charismatic and charming. And I found myself just trying to appease him and agree with him because that's what made him happy. And I just couldn't stand being around someone that was miserable and angry all the time. What were you appeasing him with? What, just give an example of an expectation that he had that you were trying to meet, trying and trying and trying to meet. Well, I like an exact expectation. Like, like for instance, you said like he like ended up in, you guys were like kind of in fights with other businesses or friends or family, like something specific that he wedged himself, created that isolationism, mm-hmm. like an example of what he did to wedge. And then you had to choose basically to either rock the boat and maintain, like don't burn the bridge with right. someone mm-hmm. or something. And you had to choose him instead. Like what's an yes. example of that? Many times with my family, I have a big family. With big families, there's crazy dynamics. And if there was a problem with a member of the family and I would be upset, he would fuel the fire and be like, yeah, let's go after this person (laughs) and like write them some scathing long email and then sign both of our names. And then it was like out there. But those words don't go away and people don't always Mm -hmm. forgive these these like temper tantrums. So it really isolated me from my family because they were not wanting to be in a relationship with him. And they they thought that he was like controlling me or me because this could have happened with like numerous people in different times in my life. What would happen if you went against the grain? What would happen if you're like, hey, that's my family. family. Like, I don't want to... Isolation and ice out tactic where I wouldn't be acknowledged until I turned around and I agreed with him and I apologized. Which was really hard for me. I have a very strong personality myself. Like I was no victim. I was I'm no meek little waif. I would stand (laughs) up to him, but like it was it just became a matter of like how much do you want to deal with the problems at home and being iced out and having this angry, stressed out person. And Mm -hmm. so you just sometimes you just after many years, you just decide this is what works. And so another answer is we started drinking a lot. That's a whole big part of it. So yeah, that was a way to manage him. He and I would just drink beer. Where ultimately where I even want to take this today is how someone can get so removed from something that's intrinsically aligned with themselves. Like mm-hmm. your soul, Lauren, was obviously all during this, like trying to give you distress signals. Like, hey, mom, this isn't right. Like, mom, this yeah. doesn't feel good. We're not being true to ourselves. 
And at the outer self, the mind is like, we can't rock the boat. We have all this stuff going on. And little by little, you just squash yourself. And that's that resentment. And the resentment is towards your husband. But really, it's that you were going against yourself. And your self-confidence was getting lower and lower. And your mental health was Mm -hmm. getting unhealthier and unhealthier. And like what moment, if you're looking at it in hindsight now, which you are, like what was your awakening? And you did talk about- Maybe it's the self-sabotage of having that little affair. affair. Totally. It's almost like that was like, it's like you weren't going to do it consciously. So unconsciously you had to blow it up some way. And I'm just, I can't be suggesting this. I'm just throwing it out there. But It's funny that you say that because a lot of my very close friends and family say that's exactly what happened. (laughs) But yeah, I think I have to agree with you there. Like deep down, I knew I was blowing things up. I knew deep down would never be able to take me back when he found out. And maybe unconsciously, I wanted out because I was unhappy and miserable thinking that I'm going to have to live in this type of relationship where it's so one-sided and I live on eggshells and in fear and stressed out all the time. And the only thing that makes us happy now is drinking together. Was that terrifying having five boys and having a business and then having him, you blew up the relationship. Was that a terrifying moment? Like I said, we had the split work life balance. Your that life was, was entangled. Really, yes. That worked so well as a married couple, as someone, as he was supporting me and I was supporting him with the work of this crazy chaotic life. Once he left, I realized, oh, I don't know where my bank is. I don't know how much money I make. I don't know my passwords. I didn't, never paid a bill. I don't know what my mortgage is. Like I knew nothing. And I got to this realization like, oh my God, I let this person, quote unquote, take care of me. Managed but then your life. This person managed, managed my and directed your life. Background. And so I was like, how could I have let myself get here? Where like, I don't even know how to do half a portion of this big life I have. And he won't help me because he won't talk to me. And he was my accountant, right? My. So what I, what I do, I, I cried for four months. I lost 15 pounds. I got sober. It's a good weight um, loss program. I got sober and I started making friends because within that relationship, I lost most of my friends and most of my family members. And I went back out for their support and they helped me get on my feet. And Mm. this is what you do first. Get an accountant, get a bookkeeper, learn how to use a computer, (laughs) like (laughs) learn how to live financially on your back end, really. How daunting of a task is that? Like, it's not like you could like press pause on your life and be like, okay, let me devote some time and energy to learning all this stuff. (laughs) Right. When was this? This was five years ago? Yeah, this was 2018. And your Mm -hmm. kids were how old? What are they now? At the time, and they were, the youngest was three and the oldest was 12. It was so hard on them. It was extremely painful. And I was a child of many divorces and never wanted to have a divorce. Always wanted a big family. Love being with my boys. Love being a mom. Never wanted to jeopardize that or their mental health. And I feel like that's exactly what happened. This isn't necessarily the topic, but in now five years later, right? And your boys are from eight to 16 or 17. Correct. Then obviously it was, you don't want to split up a family and you want to keep it good, but obviously it was toxic. What have you found now? Like, how are the kids doing when there's not that dynamic? Tell me, where has it gone at this point? Well, we have 50-50 custody. And so, and my ex lives about a mile and a half away. And the boys have seen a lot. They've seen too much, really. But the worst part is that they see parents that don't get along. They realize that anything that's said could turn into a big fight. So they try to keep everything very private and secret between households. 
And I think they've seen me grow as a single woman, as a mom. They saw me go through major deep depression and then come out of it and then sometimes go back into it and then sometimes come out of it. They've seen their parents in different relationships, which is hard. It's challenging to co-parent with somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. Any topic turns into black and white. That's just if I say yes, he says no. And so that's the kind of life they live in. I feel like it's really eggshells for them too. I feel really guilty about that. Lauren, if you have listeners who are saying, huh, I might be in this kind of relationship and just talking them through what's the next step. If you can just kind of, you know, five years later, give a snapshot of what your life looks like right now. It sounds like it's still very hard and complicated, especially with the children. But talking about your recognition, your awakening to loving yourself and building your self-confidence. Obviously, you said in the beginning it was terrifying. But now, five years later, do you feel like your confidence has built? Obviously, it has. I mean, you've gone through five years of raising these children on your own and dealing with a narcissistic ex-partner. But what does that look like? Like, How do you love yourself and what do you do to love yourself? Or what's the next step so that somebody knows someone has some kind of light at the end of the tunnel saying, all right, should I get out of this relationship? And it's too terrifying to even think about that. But if you're just giving them one extra step, one extra piece of advice to say, hey, listen, this is possible and this is what it looks like. Can I add one thing to that, Laura? Even before that, what were your looking back now? What was your relationship with yourself that even allowed you to be in that relationship? And then, like Laura says, what did you realize you had to take ownership of in the wake of it? It's a lot of questions. And I think I need to give a little background within the five years being divorced to a man with narcissistic personality disorder, somebody that completely turned on me and went from loving me to wanting me to be destroyed and burn and having to deal with that. On the daily, because of co-parenting with five kids, you just really can't not engage. It's just, I've endured so much gaslighting. Like smear campaigning means like taking friends away, talking trash about you, like people gossiping, make false narratives, using the kids as weapons to hurt me, to hurt them. Him not being ever to take any accountability for anything that he did wrong, because he was never wrong. And a constant diatribe because they're not just little texts. They're like long novel emails of shame and blame and how I should just pretty much how can I possibly live with myself because you're such a horrible person. And his taking on the, I'm the hero and I'm the victim. But you, he would say, you're the narcissistic sociopath. So that was tough. I mean, it's still tough. I have to tell that background because that's the message I'm given since five years, since the day he left me. And I just believed it because I kind of like always believed everything he said. Like he was very convincing. And like I said, like when he was up and when we were together and it was happy, like he was everything to me. So then your question is, why would someone like me go for someone like that? Well, we met as teenagers. We met in a different development of my life. I was attracted to a roller coaster ride of emotion. I don't think I was emotionally developed enough. And then I ended up going back to like a childhood romance. And then I was never able to really build my own self-worth, my own self-esteem. I got it from him or I got it from my success at work, but I didn't get it from just believing in me. And this is a person that knew everything about me since I was 16 years old. So for five years, the poking and the pointing and the blaming and the shaming, and I already feel bad. I didn't want a divorce. I didn't want to lose my kids half the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hurt anybody. I didn't want to hurt him. It wears on me daily. So when you ask me what my self-love techniques and like, what's like the hope, 
I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that I wake up in like a paranoid anxiety every day still, because I still have this voice in my head. I'm still waking up to like, oh God, what's the email going to say today? Or am I going to get another petition for court? Or like, what am I going to find out in the community that was said about me? That's not true. So I have good days and bad days. And when I'm not feeling good about myself, I often just don't feel like I'm enough. I always want to do more. That's my personality, like more, more, more. I'm an empath. I'm a fixer. I take care of people. I'm a mom. That's what I love to do. And of course, I was attracted to the narcissistic personality disorder because that's a very codependent dynamic. Mm-hmm. I don't find myself as a victim. I was within a yin-yang da- balance. Way of, to bring it back to Chinese medicine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of empathy and self-centeredness between mm-hmm. the both of us. So I actually like, talked to you yesterday and I said, I don't know that I'm like the light of hope because I want to give people the message like... <laughs> You can get through this. No, no. But I'm five years in and some days I'm on, I feel like I'm no better than I was five years ago. But then I have to look back at all the things I've accomplished on my own that I was told that I couldn't do. And that makes me feel better about myself. I continue to make female relationships. I meet people that are interested in having an open heart and understand love and forgiveness and peace. And absolutely is I try no contact. And my no contact means I try to do as very little engagement with this man as possible. So yes, no, okay, confirmed, time, date. But anytime there's any conversation beyond that, I'm going to get stripped. And he still has this power to take it all out of me. And I get consumed and I'm ruminating and then I'm anxious and I'm paranoid. And then I'm like, I'm back there again. It's this constant reminder, don't engage with this man. And you know don't what, fight Lauren? them, don't react, and don't try to fix it or be right because it will never happen except who he is. The second you don't, and I try to go in and, and like make it better or fix it, I get, I get it handed to me. And then and I'm back in square one again. That's the personality of a narcissist is you can't go against it. And you have to set clear boundaries. And the only way to get to a narcissist is to let them know how they are going to be affected because that's how self-centered they are. So setting clear boundaries and saying, this is the way it's going to be. And if it's not, these are your consequences because that's the only Mm -hmm. way they tune in. And how can you help others right now? Just you're letting people know that they're not alone. There are so many people in this boat and they're wondering how they had to get out of this. And you're sharing your story and everybody knows it's not going to be easy. And by the way, everyone's own situation, Mars mm-hmm. included, like we don't know, we can't see past what we're in, right. in the midst of, like, right. we haven't grown out of it. So we're all in that. Like we know what we've grown past and we don't know what we're still growing through. Mm-hmm. And we're all in that. And I think to the point, it's really about like, what's the process at play here? Because that's all we can ever anchor into. It's like, what's our roadmap for how to reclaim ourselves? Because we can't control the narcissist. We can't control external events and other people. And really, when you sit there and you say, don't engage, don't engage, don't engage. Yes, that's the first boundary to put up, right? It's like, I'm not going to let this tangle with me anymore. But there still is a lot inside me that is tangled. And what it's tangled with are feelings of low self-worth and this kind of void inside. So And not enough. Not enough. And right. so step one is, yes, like secure the borders. Let's not take on any more. But then step two is just as vital, which is now how do I start creating a relationship with myself, even if my mind doesn't believe me that I'm worthy of being loved? 
Even if my mind and this program that's in my head doesn't believe that I'm safe or I can, it's I am going to choose to show up every day and love myself for no reason. I always come back to what my dad taught me when he was like, Adam, you have nothing to prove to me and you have nothing to prove to yourself. And for a long time, that didn't land. I'm like, of course I have something to prove. If I don't have something to prove, how am I going to make sure that I do all the things and I'm worth all the things? But ultimately, when you can have a relationship with yourself and it starts, it doesn't feel good. You're not going to be filled in for a long time. It takes a while to build that layer upon layer where you just say, like, if I'm you, I'm like, and I'm talking to like, when I talk to like little Adam inside, if I'm you, I'm like, hey, little Lauren, I love you. And if you wake up in that paranoid anxiety, it's like, okay, I guess we're scared of everything and we're, we feel insecure and we're not sure what shoe is going to drop in the external world, but I'm going to focus internally and just show up for myself and show without trying to convince myself, show this unconditional support, unconditional acceptance, unconditional love, unconditional valuation. And I'm just going to do that every day for the rest of my life and have faith that that will in turn, little by little, help me feel more secure from the inside and make my life about myself, which again can be looked at as selfish or narcissistic, Mm -hmm. but that's how you secure the self that then allows you to move out in the world and live true to your purpose, which for you might be tending to others. But first and foremost, you're securing your own relationship to self so it can withstand what you do encounter in Mm -hmm. the outer world. So you're right there and you've been practicing it. And to your point, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not instant. It's not this instant gratification. I think it was this realization that I got to 45 years old and realized that all of my validation came from external and I wasn't feeding myself with internal validation and worth. And you get to this point where you're like, do I stay married to this person where there's these really highs and really lows? Or do I just get divorced and then only get the low <laughs> of this person? <laughs> nah. And I tell people that now when they're considering divorce. I'm like, really think about it. like what type of personality is your partner? What can you live with? And you have to have a tough skin and be able to get past what they think, what they say, what matters to them and what they think about you. And that can't be number one. It has to be what you think about you because they're going to strip you down. If it's narcissistic personality disorder, be ready, be prepared. Right. You're You're being honest to the monster. You're being truthful. Maybe you're married to like this amazing person or and the monster together. Now you're just divorced to a monster that just wants to see you burn and wants to see you destroyed. Yeah. So you're right. That's a great advice. It's like to remind myself every day to show up for myself and remember that it matters what I think, not what he thinks or what he tells anybody in the community, what some friends that have gone with him think. It just matters what I think. And it's easy to say. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Well, I mean, let's pin it there because I know you have to go, but that's everything. And it doesn't mean, like you say, when you choose yourself, when you make that pivot from outwardly looking, that external loci of control to an internal loci of control where you're saying, I'm making my life about me. It doesn't mean you're not going to be dealing with this for maybe months or years on end, but you're no longer going to make that the primary relationship in your life. It's first your relationship to Mm -hmm. you. And yeah, I mean, this is how it goes. So just to be doing that and you're being realistic about it, like you're going to get the whip of the tail from like when you make that kind of disconnect and you're really going at it, like facing it straight ahead. So I'm so grateful that you share this. You have no idea, anyone listening to this, of how much, how beneficial it is just to hear someone's story of going through it. And yet, pointing the light really is, you start the slow process of creating the boundary of what you're willing to tolerate in the external world 
while you fill in the internal world with unconditional love and support and acceptance and valuation. And the reward is happiness. The reward is peacefulness yeah. inside. And even in just a short amount of time that we've been recording right now, I've seen your growth. I've heard, I've felt your growth from the time that you started your relationship all the way to now. And even though that might not feel every day like that's very palpable, I mean, isn't that the greatest gift that we can give ourselves? It's just the love yeah. and the growth. And think of the gift you're giving your children. Yeah, you're um, showing them around. that you can be strong and you can love yourself because in the long run, those children are going to have to love themselves. And that's what we're teaching them. So I think this has just been beautiful, Lauren. I really appreciate you guys holding space for me today and interviewing me and feel really in touch. I'm really impressed with your podcast and I cannot wait to see you guys in person again one day. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be nice. That would be awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thank right, you, Lauren. Lauren. Appreciate it. All right. Bye, Adam. Bye, bye. Laura. Bye-bye. Bye, Laura. Okay. So there you have it. I mean, that's, it's powerful and it's mm -hmm. out there. A lot of people are dealing with this on mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day level and you get so stuck. You can tell like to be in that for years and there's reasons, right? You have children and you have entanglements, but a lot of times it's more that the person has stripped you or you have allowed yourself to be stripped of your agency. And then you just start not believing you, that you, you have the power. Or you're believing that you don't have the power. <laughs> right. It's not. So, I mean, I do think narcissist, like the term narcissist is so at this point, it's like being used so much. But then again, our society at large is so narcissistic. But it is narcissistic, but we do. And we also have to put a label on everything. And you have to maybe use a watchful eye, a careful eye, because it is, like we said in the beginning, very easy to label everybody right. who is wronging you as a narcissist. Exactly. And be careful. <laughs> and when, when Lauren spoke initially, and I'm just so glad she was so open with us, right. but like spoke about how it got to the point where she kind of blew up her relationship by cheating. Yes. It would be so easy to be like, he's a narcissist and he's rejecting me when obviously he had reason at that point. But it doesn't mean totally, that he's right. not a raging narcissist, so to speak. Right. That's the afterlife too. The afterlife of living with a narcissist or dealing with a narcissist because her life is so intertwined with uh, business and kids and You can understand life. why people would choose, like their mind can make them rationalize why it's better off just to stay, stay in, in it. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that she blew up her life and is able to now start picking up the pieces and... That's what we try to do ourselves. And we go through the same thing where I think I'll label you as something mm -hmm. and you'll think I'm labeling you something because mm -hmm. I'm just hiding behind my own insecurity. Like that's normal. But when you're willing to look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to claim myself and I'm not going to blame throw. And even if someone else is wrong or has something that's dysfunctional, I still am going to look at my role here because yes. if someone like Lauren just said, he's a narcissist, so I don't have to work on anything, then you're missing a massive golden opportunity. Yeah, always. It comes down to self-growth. Right. We always say it. it comes down to personal self-growth. Do you want to grow? And if you do, I mean, you have the opportunity literally every second, every minute, every hour of your day to grow. And if you choose not to, well. Then you're going to end up in the same repeating cycles. cycles. And exactly. no, so when you do choose yourself, little by little, it usually then gives you the opportunity to establish healthier relationships. That might mean outgrowing some relationships and it might mean some relationships grow with you. But first and foremost, and magic seed 
is you have to come back to yourself and understand your primary job in life is to take ownership, is to be the shepherd for yourself, your mind, body, and soul, and to maintain the order and what's right and maintain that point of inspiration of what feels aligned and like- And why? Because don't you want to be happy? Don't you want to feel peaceful inside? But it's so easy to say that, but now put yourself in a position where you're in a complete SHIT storm and your mind is specifically saying, I want to be peaceful. I want to be happy. If I could appease this situation, I will find more peace and happiness. It's hard to see the long game. It is very hard. So that's why you take a step at a time. Step at a time. A day at a time. Stay present, right? Stay present. Yeah. Come back home. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you to Lauren. And until next week, nothing but love.